Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... I got the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh-oh, hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Well, welcome to another very special episode of Parks and Recollection. We have a very important guest today. We don't always have guests, do we, Alan? We have guests when we can trick people into coming on this podcast. And today we did. And it's an outstanding guest. It's Dean Holland, everybody. Dean Holland. Dean Holland, director extraordinaire, director of, I think, the most Parks and Rec episodes of any human being. Is that true, Dean? Uh, That would be correct, yeah. By probably like fourfold. (laughs) <laughs> I think. What is the number? How many parks did you do? I officially directed, I believe, 27 of them. Oh, my God. That's actually Jesus. more than I even thought. That's, That's more, more than, than a I whole thought. season. I know. And, yeah, and, and yeah. Dean, Dean started out as an editor a long time ago and then uh, became yeah. such a great director. He became pretty much the go-to director for the show. So yeah, um, very, very glad to have you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is great. And to this episode... Um, that we're doing today mm-hmm. um, is was this your first episode you directed of Parks? This was this was my first episode of Parks that I directed, and my second episode of television. Wow, you yeah. did one of the Office, is that right? I did. I did one at the Office, and then this was my first one at Parks. Yeah. For for the Office nerds, what was the title of your Office episode? The Duel. It's the one where. Uh, People always remember Andy ran over Dwight with his car. They were battling over Angela. So you were you were kind of a baby director on this. And I remember because you and I did a number of episodes together, including yeah. Sweetums, which is three episodes after this. And I remember being on set with you and we were like, we are the bosses right now. We looked Dude. around. It's like who's gonna who's supposed to tell us what to do? It's like we're we're here. We're we're the I, ones. I remember we're looking at you and I'm like, there are no parents here. Yeah, I go, and I'm looking. I'm looking at Alan, who I think was 11 at the time. Yeah, something and, like that. Uh, I looked. At, remember, I looked at you. I'm just like, are, did they really leave us in charge of all of this? Yeah, this is. Are, like, are we we're... supposed to be? <laughs> it was a very but strange feeling. It's a. It's an example of learn by doing, right? And I think you know, watching this episode last night, I was like. I, I, I know I'm not just blowing smoke, uh, you know, up your ass because it's like it's a well-directed episode. That ending is really terrific. I was yeah. like, man, and th- this is your second episode of television. That's really cool. It was a really awesome script. Like the whole kind of caper aspect of it was so fun. Right. And I think like we probably truly had the best episode a couple minutes longer, but it still worked out really well. I love that spoken like an editor for real. He's like, oh, the, 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 the director's cut was better. Uh, we should do some we should do some housekeeping, Rob, and just let people know when this episode aired. It was episode seven of season two aired October 29th, 2009, um, written by Michael Shore. Heard of him. He's the creator of the show and directed by, of course, our guest, Dean Holland. We got to do a synopsis so people know what episode we're talking about. Okay. So you'll have to sit through me explaining the episode. Here's the synopsis for my synopsis, sisters and brothers. The episode opens with Leslie confronting her peach-eating arch-nemesis, teenage Greg Pekaitis, the titular Greg Pekaitis, in the high school hallway about his past Halloween hijinks. Leslie enlists the help of her boyfriend and local cop Dave to tail Pekaitis to make sure he doesn't vandalize the statue of Mayor Percy once again. 
Meanwhile, Anne reminds the Parks Department about her Halloween party and is disappointed to find out that Jerry has spilled the beans to Tom. Anne's party is off to a boring and awkward start until Tom arrives dressed as T-Pain and turns the living room into a dance floor. As the party continues, a possible spark between Ron and Wendy is kindled. The tailing of Pekitis turns up nothing, and while on the way to Anne's Halloween party, Leslie and Dave stop by Leslie's office and the two discover a vandalized Parks Department. Leslie is sure Pekitis is the perpetrator and has Dave bring in Greg for questioning after getting nowhere with him. Andy goes in hot with the FBI persona, Burt Macklin. But Pekitis is so mean to him, Andy ends up crying. Soon, Pekitis' mom shows up and threatens to sue. After a few beers, we reach the conclusion of the episode. Andy and Leslie decide to TP Greg Pekitis' house. An unfamiliar woman opens the front door. Leslie fears she has the wrong house until it's revealed that Greg goes on Craigslist to hire fake moms to get him out of trouble, and the woman standing in front of them is actually Greg's real mom. When Leslie realizes Greg's not at home, she rushes to the statue of Mayor Percy and catches Pekitis in the act of vandalizing the statue. A flashback in the tag shows Pekitis pretending to be a janitor, hiding in the dumpster until everyone had left and vandalizing the office. A lot of plot in this one, and that's why it's like a caper-style episode. Yeah. So that's one of the longer synopses we've ever had. Yeah. A lot of story to turn through. That's why we said the best version was two minutes longer, according to Dean. <laughs> it's like, why isn't it longer, man? But you know, by the way, like you, if you go back and watch it, you can see that we shot every scene that we shot that, like, that Pekitis was in, but you don't see him. It's there. And we made very specific edits that, like, as we're panning off something, you see Pekitis walking in, but we cut instantly. Like, it was all very true to the caper, and so that you could prove that Pekitis actually got in there. Rob, did you see him? I saw him in the Jerry scene where he gets caught in the cobweb, but I've seen the episode enough times, I think. Yeah. I just remember, I think I remember, I probably looked at the edit with you at some point, but but you're, there's a scene, just like a nothing scene kind of, but it's basically to get Pekitis walking across the screen in disguise. Yeah. Yeah, but I, unfortunately, I thought it was David Spade in a Halloween costume. <laughs> yeah, that kind of looked like it, right? It's like. <laughs> oh, very much so. <laughs> Equally likely. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And watching it last night, I have I have a lot of thoughts. First of all, I think you may have only this may have only been your second uh, thing as a director, but you were the first guy smart enough to set a scene in Magic Hour. That was, and I learned that the hard way too. <laughs> you know, you always just sit there and go, "Oh, it'll be right at dusk. We'll just do it there," and, and the DP will look at you and go. You're fucking nuts. We don't do that. <laughs> yeah, we don't <laughs> have time. We don't have time. No, we don't have time for that. But it, we did it, and it was great. I mean, we had to be there during the day, and we had to be there at night. And so we knew we could sneak in one moment uh, right at that dusk hour. And you see it. Even I have a talking head, I think, of, of uh, Pratt. And it's like that sun's going down. We were really – I think we had to bring in lights as we were shooting the talking head because we couldn't see him. There's a reason that Magic Hour is a thing. It looks flippin' beautiful. It's gorgeous. And, you know, it's that hour, it's that uh, the, that magic hour when the sun is right above the horizon or just below the horizon. It literally is an hour. Yeah. That's why they call it Magic Hour. And, you know, Terrence Malick movies, the entire movie is Magic Hour. Yeah. And technically, really, like, I think you have about a half hour, right? You have a half hour that you can shoot something where it looks consistent. Otherwise, it's either too bright or too dark, you know? And it happens, depending on what time of the year it is, it happens a whole lot faster. On the list of priorities of Parks and Recreation, how low would you say lighting is? Because I, and this is no disrespect to Trim. No, no none, none whatsoever. Or lighter, but none, zero, right? I think it's probably how we all approached it, as in, to us, point the cameras at the actors and let the actors be funny. Let the script be funny. Like, don't mess around with it. Don't try to do anything fancy. Get it. Now, that, so yes, so priority of lighting, you know, it's probably number four, five, or six, you know? And, uh, but I think it's such a massive difference when we focused on the scripts and the, and the actors being funny and no one thinks about the lighting then. For sure. I, I also think this episode might have the most amount of night shoots yeah. in any episode. How was it? Do you remember shooting it, Dean? Was it a lot of like, you know, so night shoots, you know, you go obviously at sundown and it's just, it's kind of a grind for the crew, you know? It is. I think I, we, we, we tried to do it more like splits, you know, we tried, so we didn't shoot all night. We, you know, each day would be like a call time around 12 and we went till 12 or one at night and that way we could maximize 
shoot during the day and the night and not have to have people working till six o'clock in the morning. I like splits. Rob, do you like splits? I, I, I'm not a super early morning person, so splits, I'm like, yeah, noon to, noon to midnight. Yep. <laughs> like that, that works for me, too. I, I love splits yes. and hate, hate night shoots. Uh, one of the great, uh, I did a movie with Ricky Gervais that he directed, and he, one of the things I, I was like, you and I are going to get along just fine. He's like, I'm going to take a pass on the script. And the first thing he did was took out all, every single night shoot. <laughs> every single one just gone. That's like, that's like me and Aziz after we started shooting in cars. We're like, oh my God, shooting in a car is horrible. We're like, and every, scene, every script where, where there was a car scene was like, why are, how about they're walking? <laughs> Instead of being in a car, how about they're walking? And you just shoot steady cam. Let's just steady cam walk. Let's not rig a car for six hours. Isn't that like a Carl Reiner thing? He says, how do you make every script funny? The first thing you do, you go through the script and you cross out every night shoot and turn it into a day. And that's how you make it yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah. Just everything should I, be during the day. That's what's funny. It truly is. You know, uh, you know, obviously all the night shoots, you're staying up till six in the morning. A car is a pain in the ass because it's, I hate you're cars. just rigging the car. You're putting a camera. It, it's for safety. There, there's a process trailer, which it, it's just really complicated and things go wrong all the time. They, but they also really... it's, you can't plan normally for it. Like anything that you're doing with a car, add an additional two hours of prep. Agreed. Like, Agreed. like before you start shooting, it just takes forever. Something will go wrong, and and, yep. and and oftentimes again, this is some inside baseball stuff. But by the end of a week, you might go later and later, and that's what people call fratter day. So if you're shooting on a Friday, it often just goes into the Saturday because yep. you're shooting later and later each day. So, but but the thing is, is if you notice on TV, because it's such a grind, and you're doing so many episodes, and you're moving so quickly, and it's not like a movie. Most TV, it always makes me laugh. Most TV shows, traditionally network ones, never take place at night because it's just too hard to do it. It's it's not pleasant, and, and and so you never see network television ever. Like the murderers creeping around in the middle of the fucking day, always. <laughs> it's the weirdest. Yeah, we think there's a serial killer, and he only comes out during the <laughs> day. They call him the day killer. <laughs> yeah, the sunlight yeah. killer. He he thrives off the sun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's like a plant. The he reverse runs vampire. <laughs> yeah, he's a reverse vampire. He can't see the but, moon. But there's a reason why night nights as an audience member are great. They look beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And they're true. evocative and they're all these things. And I mean, a night shoot gives you so much bang for your buck and they're so cinematic. It's and gorgeous. Seeing all of these nights in this episode, you, they're just so satisfying as an audience, but boy, are they a nightmare to do. Yeah. It was, you know, this episode was one of those ones that uh, Yang, you, you probably know this, you know, it's like kind of like your first shot at it. So you prep like they're like like nobody has ever seen. I mean, I knew every single shot I was going to do. I might yeah. as well have storyboarded the entire thing because I knew every even from the very first shot of Leslie standing in the middle of the, you know, the school. I, everything I pitched to Mike, everything was right there. It was like we knew exactly how we were going to do everything. And then you still go through you do the whole thing. I remember I came back from the mix and I went straight to Mike and I was like, we're totally fucked. We got to go back and recut this thing. It's not funny at all. <laughs> it doesn't work. Well, and, but no, I, you're totally right. You're totally right. I remember my first episode. It was also like, I went, I, I not only shot lists everything. I went to Steve Day, our AD, and just talked to him about blocking. I was like, yeah. what, what, what is the typical blocking on this show? What do people generally do? Essentially, like I wanted to shot list every single shot in the yeah. entire episode because I wanted to be prepared. You just don't want to screw up your first one. And no, you, you didn't because you went on and did 26 more or whatever. <laughs> you do. You have to prepare. I did the same thing on The Office when I did that one. You prepare the hell. To be honest with you, I've now directed 90 episodes of television. I kind of oh still do it. I kind of yeah. still do it. I, my weekend before I shoot, I work the entire weekend. I even go through a script and I write down how I'm going to direct the actors. Like I haven't even heard them do it yet. And I'll be like, maybe get them to do it like this and do it like that. Because as we all know, right, it's all about options. It's all about yep. giving different performances, different things. And I'll, I'll have all of that prepared in my head. And then, and then when I get there, it all goes away and you just go off the cuff and make yeah. it up. But it's in your bones because you've done the work, right? And yep. it, it actually brings up a good point. A couple things, you know, you came from editorial, you came from post. So when you talk about the pieces, like coming from the writer's room, I didn't realize how much 
you know, it's built, they say if a film or a TV show is built three times, it's built on the writing, built on the shooting, built on the editing. And yeah. the post department is so powerful because what you really are, you're putting together these different pieces of footage and fusing them into a whole that tells the story. And so yep. Dean, having cut so many episodes of The Office and Parks, knows exactly the pacing, the sizes of shots he needs, like, yeah. like all that stuff, what works, reaction, you know, line, reaction, line, reaction, all that stuff. And then on the day, there's so many parts of directing, right? It's not just the look of it, but yep. it's the performance by the actors, it's the production design, it's it's all of those things and all of the blocking. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, there's so many uh, so many elements. There's so many ways to go down. People ask people ask me advice all the time, like, "Hey, I'm directing my first episode. You know, do you have any advice?" And I always give a very simple advice. I just say, "Have an answer for everything." Yeah, because the, the job is kind of. You know, you're the expert on this story. Yep. You're the expert on this episode, and and you know, I, I think Dean, if you can give like a, a tiny summary of your process when you do an episode, like like walk us through just just briefly, if you could, your process. Okay, you get the script, then what happens? It's a funny thing. Like I remember reading uh, Lord of the Rings series, right? And so when when Lord of the Rings the movies came out, I I went, oh my god, Peter Jackson saw exactly what I saw. You know what I mean? Like when you read something, you envision it in your head, right? So as I read something, I envision it in my head and I said, okay, they're doing this and they're making this movement and they're walking over here. And then you go, all right, well, how do you cover that? How do you want to see that? So the first thing you do is figure out where they go and what they do, which is your blocking, right? So then you go, how do I cover that? Where do I put the cameras? And then... Then you sit there and go, well, that would take an entire day to shoot. And I have four hours to shoot that. So how do I simplify that in a way where my coverage can serve more than one purpose? You know what I mean? That this camera here can shoot this, this and this. So it gets three shots as opposed to one. So you kind of start to simplify. If I was doing a movie, I would take the time and I would... I would cover it exactly the way I wanted to block it. But with TV, you know, it's a little bit of that factory, you know, that you just kind of have to keep going and going and move things along more quickly. That's part of the job. So I I do that. And then as I, I mean, I write up so many notes on a script that you, you've seen my scripts. Like I, you can't almost see the actual script anymore because I've written so many things on it. Some of them are blocking. Some of them are directional notes to the uh, performance notes to the actors. All these different things, questions. Sometimes I just write down questions because sometimes I'll bring it up to either the writer or the actor or whatever and ask the question that no one has asked before. And that's one of the biggest things is ask those questions. People don't ask. People just people get so nervous when they're directing that they kind of just go, I'm supposed to have all the answers, blah, 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 blah. They forget to ask the questions as well, because that's how you figure everything out. I love that you get to work with people in television. I love that you bounce ideas off people when, you know, if you're directing a movie, everyone just thinks you're a king and you have everything. But I love the collaboration. That's my favorite part. You know, well, this is why Dean is a successful television director because so much of the job is working with other people. Like you're saying, you're you're not a king, you're not an emperor, you're not just dictating everything. And look, sometimes you get to make decisions, and that's great, right? And, but but ultimately, so Dean will do all that work as a director and say, I'm writing the episode or running the show or whatever. We'll have a production meeting where we talk to all of the departments. We go yep. through all those notes. We get to ask those questions of all of our brilliant department heads. And we'll do a tone meeting, which is you know me and Dean and, and whoever else is relevant, the line producer or whoever. Yeah. And, and then we talk about we go scene by scene and dissect every aspect, hopefully every aspect yeah. of the script before the day. So when you get on the day and there's so much chaos, it's exactly like Dean said, you do as much preparation as you can. You go overboard with the preparation. And then on the day, you may have to change everything, right? Yep. You may have to change everything. I'll, I'll make shot lists. I make notes on my script. I do everything. And usually I never look at it again. I yeah. never look you at it again. You have the binder, right? You, you got the, the binder. binder And most of the time it's all in here. So then you play the audible and you figure out what you need to change and you just go with it, you know? And then like my, one of my favorite things is the tone meeting because as a director, you know how you can make something work and the writer might not have written it that way. And if you have a great writer, you sit there and go, Hey, what if we did something like this? And then the writer can rewrite it to work for how you can shoot it, you know? And you have to do that. You have to rewrite things based on, 
logistics, uh, you know, camera movement, all that kind of stuff. And it's just it's this evolving process that never ends. It's, it's constant. It's constant. And so this yeah. one, look, this one was so fun because you, you got lucky with your first one. It's not only a caper, it's a Halloween episode. And yeah. me and Rob have talked about how much we like the holiday episodes of the show. You got to do, you ended up doing Halloween episodes, right, Rob? Do you remember what Chris would wear oh, yeah. for Halloween? What I forget what you wore. Do you oh, remember? Well, one time he was he was Sherlock Holmes. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, That's right. And then, and then, <laughs> and then so one funny. time... One time he was himself as an old man. Oh, wow. I remember. That's dark. I remember that. That's kind of <laughs> Really funny. dark. Remember when Chris got really dark? Yeah. There was a, Chris got, gets super dark <laughs> we, it, towards, towards the end. Uh, and the other thing I remember at Halloween episodes, and this speaks to the camaraderie and just the good vibes on the set, was we would do a Halloween parade with everybody's kids. Oh, wasn't it the best? It was my favorite thing about being on parks is because my kids were not at that point were just at the point where they'd stopped caring about Halloween and I missed it. So I would get to see everybody's younger kids come to the yep. set. My kids were there. I have tons of pictures. They remember going to those still. I mean, they loved it. We had so many kids in our, you know, on our crew that would come in. It was fantastic. But that was our show. Every Halloween, we would we would stop shooting by three o'clock so that we could do a Halloween for the next two or three hours. You guys want to feel old. Two of those kids are now Supreme Court justices. So it was a long time ago. I mean, it was a long time ago. Both sides of the aisle, though, you know, really. Yeah, that yeah. at least uh, is that. Yeah. <laughs> Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors. No prep. No mess meals. Now, Factors Fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved, which is awesome. And they're ready to eat in just two minutes. So, no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So, so good. I love this stuff. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore to help you crush your wellness goals. And let me tell you what I crush they have a smoky bacon and cheddar egg bite that is. Good. Mm. I tried their shakes also, and they were so good. Oh, I'm a Factor fan. Head to factormeals.com slash parksandrex50 and use code parksandrex50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code parksandrex50 at factormeals.com slash parksandrex50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. That is so true, Greg. LinkedIn knows that as a small business owner, you don't have the time or the resources to spend countless hours looking for the right person for the job. So they have launched a new feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. And it isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching. In fact, get this, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Wow, that, that, that's impressive. That's amazing. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash parks. That's linkedin.com slash parks to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You know, this is a classic sort of, man, it's really packed, right? It's like got the B story at Ann's house and then it's got the Burt Macklin cameo. It's got the, it's got. Right. No. Hey, Yang, was this, was this not the first Burt Macklin? This is the it first is. Burt Macklin. This is this the is first, the this is the birth of Burt, of Burt Macklin. Yeah. It's so funny when he pretends to throw the coffee in his face and just smashes the, the mug yep. on the ground. Did, Which we only did script? once. We was only say, did was that, that once. Scripted? Was that scripted? Nope. Okay. <laughs> and and believe it or not, I don't think it was scripted that so we do this whole thing and, and Pratt goes in there like he's gonna take him, he's gonna destroy this kid, and then we cut away and we come back, Pratt's crying. That was also, I believe, not scripted. Oh wow, that's a legendary I, move. I remember that yeah. moment because I, I feel like I maybe we saw it in the cut, like we were watching the cut, we're like, oh wow, that's really funny. You know, Pratt was an improvising machine. 
I mean, every you, if, if you, as a director, I realized quickly I could never go back to Pratt and say, do what you did in the last take. Because he was like, I have no idea what I did in the last take. Every take was completely different. And you just kind of had to grab on and hold on. And he just pulled you along for the ride, you know. It was great. But yeah, this this was a really, as Mike and I always used to say, layered episode, right? It just had joke after joke and, and storyline after storyline. There was so many beats in this you cannot believe it's 21 minutes when I, when mm-hmm. I, it's like it, these shows and they move really fast and, and, and we'll talk about it, you know, in season three as well, how much faster it gets that season. But, but yeah, I mean it, you, every character gets a little moment, right? It's like, I, I love yep. seeing Aubrey dressed as a clown, you know, yep. Tom is T-Pain, Ron is a pirate. He's like, I'm a pirate. And so in subsequent Halloween episodes, he's always a pirate in the always same costume, which is always really funny. He's like, I'm a pirate. This is what yep. I am every year. It's, it's, it's I mean, it's think amazing. about the Halloween episode, the, or, or I mean the Halloween party, right? Anne's got a story of how she can't throw a party, right? Then you have Ron who is kind of connecting with, uh, Wendy, right? You have Mark being tested by her nurse friends. Right? Yes, right. Mark, that, that, the subplot of that. And then Jerry, which got cut out, right? J- the, Jerry's dressed in a huge dinosaur outfit the entire time, and we reveal that <laughs> at the end. <laughs> so we made him wear that costume for like a day and a half never seeing his face that's right it. because we we see him i remember that dinosaur because yeah. it, there's one prominent shot of Anne being happy that tom has revived the party and you see a dinosaur guy like basically a giant dinosaur mascot dancing next to her that was jerry i didn't that remember that <laughs> he's not even he's in the costume he's acting and you just don't even see his face you might as well not the episode and then you oh have right God. then you have leslie and pakitis leslie and dave yeah. leslie yeah. and andy Andy and Pakitis, yes. Dave and Pakitis, the parents. It's I know, and I would say we we when we broke the episode, it's ultimately in the A story, kind of a Leslie Andy episode, which we had yeah. never done before. I think and that, was, that was really great. noticeable. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, that was like, oh, okay, they've decided to bring Pratt into the big leads. Yep. Yes. He's got he's got his time in the spotlight with with the star. Let's see if this guy can hack it. They totally, it was really, because it was kind of progressing that way that, you know, first, basically Andy's living in a pit, then he gets a job, then he's a shoeshine boy, and now he's kind of moving into being part of the parks department. A very smart move by the showrunners, I gotta say, because he crushes in this episode. He crushes, I forget yeah. that he's not even like wearing the costume of the Burt Macklin costume or anything. And no. but man, he's so funny in that. Like it's, it's just this kid. Yep, still wearing the same sneakers he wore all seven seasons. That's right. <laughs> same sneakers all seven seasons. I feel like he wore that shirt in most episodes too. There's that one shirt. about eighty-seven kind of percent. Yeah. yeah, he's got like a, a kind of tan plaid shirt that he wears in most of the episodes. Yep, yep. So w- let me ask you something about Burt Macklin. Was that was was that that that's in this? It's very clear what it is. He's like he's doing a bit to to crush this kid, and he so he, he, I'm I'm with the FBI, and he just makes up the name and uses that name. But that that actually became a character like. Ron's character, Duke Silver, is amazing because he really wasn't playing a character. He was still dressed like Andy. He still clearly was Andy. And yet in subsequent episodes, he's Burt Malcolm with a fucking FBI jacket he has on. has a jacket. But now the, technically, the technically it's an FBI jacket that he uses white paper tape and puts FBI right. on his back. That's right. Because he dresses up the next time is in a Halloween episode. That's what it is. That he dresses up as Burt Macklin. Yes, yeah. it all it all comes together. I believe he dresses up as Burt Macklin and Aubrey dresses up as Janet Snakehole. Yep. And then, <laughs> so, so. yes, and then correct me if I'm wrong, Yang, didn't you write Bus Tour? Yeah, uh, yes, I think I co-wrote that with Aisha. Because so. that was one, <laughs> that was pie, a huge yeah. Burt Macklin episode. The whole yeah. episode. Is, the this whole is how, episode's This, this is how much a, a show that goes seven seasons spirals. It's like a thing that happens in one and a half scenes, season two. It's like, okay, well, that's a character now. That that game that he plays, he has his own story now. Yep. That's season six or something. And he basically got a TV show out of it in the end. A public access TV show yes. out of it. <laughs> 
I forgot about that. <laughs> I mean, like, like when you when he's Burt Macklin, he says, I just remember, in order to think like these guys, you have to think, <laughs> think like, like them, these which guys. is like it's just literally the same thing over and over again. He, also, when he walks, just when he walks in, he goes, "Crappy Halloweeners." That's hilarious. It's just like completely dry read, like not yep. even like just just very serious about it. But I, I really felt, and we've talked about this, but it felt like this was the one that unlocked Andy, and and we've oh, obviously yeah. he's grown and grown as a character, but. Putting him with a fun version of Leslie, there's a fun version of Tom in the B story. Like these characters were just becoming the lightest versions of themselves. Like I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, and, and and by the way, there was kind of new blood behind the camera too, right? I feel like, you know, and, and we went on and did an episode very soon after this and yep. your second one. I think it was just getting energy up. We were so hungry. We just we yeah. we were yeah. so passionate, hungry, willing to please. You know, we wanted everything to be so good. We we would take our time. We would never rush off of anything. We would get something and we're like, great, that works. Now what else can we do? Now how else can we make it funnier? How can we up our game even more? We kind of never stopped. The shooting style allowed us to shoot more than we needed, you know? Th- there was always a thousand things that hit the editing room floor that were never seen that were spectacular. And that's why some of these episodes, we had these longer cuts. So, you know, we can talk a little bit, I think, about process where, you know, I don't think we've covered this in the show before. Basically, when we, you know, an episode gets shot, right? It's mm-hmm. just generally a five-day shoot or something like yeah. that. It All the footage gets loaded in and then the assistant editor cuts some of the footage together. And then the editor of the episode puts together what's called an editor's assembly. And you yeah. can take it from there, Dean, because you've, you've done this more than I have. Yeah, it's, it, it, you know, you'll shoot for five days. We come up with our first cut. And our first cut was usually early on around this time. Our first cut was probably 35 minutes, <laughs> maybe 40 minutes. And what people don't know when they hear a half hour show, they think a half hour. No, it was 21 and a half minutes. And you had almost a 30 second main title. So you basically had 21 minutes. And that's a brutal <laughs> to cut. It's really basically hard. you're cutting the show in half. So that's how like Mike and I got really good at pulling out words, right? And you would cut around and and every edit that turned off to somebody else, I would pull apart words and create new sentences to tighten it up and make it happen <laughs> so much faster than it did happen, you know? And so anyway, so we would come, you'd have the long cut, maybe 35 minutes, and then... Um, as, as things went on, the director does a cut, and usually the directors didn't do much. They came in, and they know they only have two days. They're usually on to another episode at that point. They would change a few things, so it basically stays the same. And then I would take a cut, and I would cut it down to probably about 23 minutes and give it to Mike. Then Mike would probably add another minute back in, and then together we would bring it back down to 23 minutes and that's yeah. what would get sent to the network. Then the network would give our notes, and then Mike and I would squeeze it down to twenty one thirty. And and that's that same process happens in in every show, basically every single episode, every episode. But what it doesn't happen on are streamers. And this is this is my thing about why I think network television gets sort of a bad name. Like I, I go to the Emmys right now. There's nobody from network television nope. nominated. Nobody. And. Nope. Do you know how hard it is to 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 work, make something good within the confines that we're talking about? Yeah. Like, you know, if you're making a show for a streamer, if 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 you think it plays at 30 minutes, guess what? It's going to play at 30 minutes. Yeah. If you think it plays better at at 21 minutes, you you can do whatever the hell you want. But with a network, you have to, you're a slave to the timing and and that is just the way it is and you have to kill the babies if you have to kill the babies to get there and that's yep. What is so? Whenever I, I say, if you see a network show you like, it's even better than you think it is. Yes, yeah. and and on top of that, I add, you have to have commercial breaks. So for yeah. a, for a twenty one minute show, you're talking now in many cases four acts or so, something wild like that, where you're writing in a scene has to end at a certain point in time in the episode. You're really cutting around that. It is, yep. and I feel really lucky to sort of have bridged the gap between network and streamer. So I worked on some network shows. I worked on Parks, obviously, for a long time. And then my first show that we got to create together was was a streamer. And we couldn't, Dean, we couldn't believe on this show editing, right? It's like, yeah. we can just, 
the, we, I mean, the look, freedom. <laughs> yeah, it's like we had seven minute long takes that we yeah. just put into an episode, right? It's that's like, what you point out something else, Alan. Like, remember, they would say, "Oh, your act one can't be any longer than this or any shorter than that. Act two can't. Be, you have to fit in these parameters." And not only that, but do they want a big story ending for each act? So you yes. can't just end and move on. You have to like leave a cliffhanger at the end of every act. And then remember, early on, they added that fourth act, classic four act structure. When Mike came in, it looked like his dog had been shot because he came in. He was like, they, we need to do four acts now, which is not <laughs> traditional Aristotelian story no. structure. You don't think you don't hear about the four acts of stories like that's not a, <laughs> that's not a movie or a play. It's three act structures, beginning, middle and end. But yep. then you pop that fourth act in there. Like NBC's like, what about four acts? <laughs> yeah. And by the way, just so everybody's clear, the only reason there are four acts is because they want for commercial breaks. Yeah. <laughs> they want more commercials on the show. Yeah. This wasn't some this wasn't some dramaturge at NBC no. that went, "Oh, I think everything would be better than four." They just want more commercials. No, it's a bean counter going, "Yeah, we can amortize this show better with four acts." Yeah, and they want your credits over the last like 35 seconds of your show. And so you you don't want any important content happening because you have credits over it. So it just has to be kind of 30 <laughs> seconds of jokes that like, it can't be an important storyline. I remember sometimes we would go to that act four and we would move the credits to earlier because it was going to end on something important and we wanted people to watch it. And then there's the fear that the people see the credits coming up, they turn it off. That's right. It, That's right. It was hell. It, it was hell. It's, it, it's, it's tricky. Greg, Greg, Greg has a question. Producer Greg has a question for Dean. What, what is it, Greg? Tatine, I'm curious, uh, since you were editing episodes that you were also directing, while yes. you were directing them, did you think about the edits? Did you think about ways you were going to shoot it, cut it, and so on, so that you were already ahead of the game? I, absolutely, Greg. I, I mean, I do that now. You know what I mean? It, it just Even though I don't edit my own things now, you as a director, you have to be editing in your head. How does this cut to that? How, you know, and if and if I want to cut this out and I don't like it, how can I bridge two moments? You have to think about all those things because Constantly. you you try these things and then go, oh, I don't want to be in a wonder with a joke that I'm unsure about in the middle of it because then I'm just screwed and I can't get out of it. So it's like that's why I've done a lot of wonders and I always cover myself. I always yep. cover myself because if you're watching something and it's not good. You need the ability to cut it. So, uh, it, look, the, I, I was an editor for about, you know, 12 years, 12 to 15 years before I started uh, directing. And so I couldn't help but always think about all of the editing. Yeah. And, and, and basically an editor with people skills can be a great director because that that's yeah. important. <laughs> that, that, that caveat Still is important. working on those people <laughs> skills. <laughs> well, to that point, you, you, you were always my favorite director. Well, and, thank you. Thank you. And, that and I think, and I, and I, uh, I was curious to know, um, Let's go cast member by cast member for a minute. <laughs> Rate them out of 10? No. <laughs> so, <laughs> Rob. <laughs> yeah. Yes, thank you. I mean, every actor requires a different style of directing. Here's my favorite bad directing. When um, the director goes, so, um, yeah, so I was thinking, so you're sitting in this chair, and then, you know, when you say that line about, um, God damn it, this has to end. Like, I, th I thought maybe you'd, like, walk over to the window, maybe you're... You're you're sort of you say it at the window and then you turn out and I go you just want to put you just want a shot through the fucking window of me right you just just tell me that <laughs> just tell me I'd like to do a shot looking through the window and I will figure out a way to make that work and there are some actors who would be so fucking offended if you came to them and said that yeah and so I get why some people do that but every actor has to be handled differently yeah. don't you think Is that oh absolutely I mean I, I feel like. I probably gained a pretty, with as many as I did, a pretty great relationship with every single actor. Um, you, for example, you and I, Rob, right? We found that we definitely did the thing of like, here's what they want. So now where, how do we elevate it? Like we did all sorts of fun things, right? I mean, we kind of went a little crazy. We, you and I really dove into who Chris Traeger was. Right. I mean, we I remember I had you doing pull ups in the middle of an entire scene the entire time. 
Right? Do you remember that? And, oh, yes. And my, my, I'm still hurting. <laughs> without without even knowing that visual effects would be able to pull this off, you. But that was like that was one of those things, and it wasn't like we do the the pull ups and then pan away. I was like, no, no, no. We need to do the pull ups and stay there. Pull a whole scene with Rob in the background doing pull ups, and um, and we had to do some that were. Uh, that you had to do on your own. And then we were able to slip a little box in there. And as long as you kept your feet the same, they just, they removed the box. That's right. But like, I think we found a lot of funny, we dove into Chris Traeger and made him a little crazier than he was. But I, every, every other thing that we did, we ended up using, we did a lot of crazy shit and it, and ended up using it like polar, Polar was, I never gave her a note for five takes because she was learning it. And then once she learned it, I'd go in and I'd be like, so Amy, I think what we should do here is what Leslie Nope is thinking. And she's like, yeah, I know, faster, funnier. And that was like, (laughs) so we really got into a thing where I was like, Amy, faster, funnier. And that's all I said. You know, um, Pratt was was, was similar to you, Rob, where we would just try any funny thing we could think of. Uh, Nick, who I still work with today, Nick, we had a Ron Swanson from a, from a scale of one to 10. And that's all I ever said to him. I'm like, this is Ron at a 10. This is Ron at a one. This is a Ron at a four. And we knew it just like, give me the extent of how Ron Swanson would be. And it's like, we all found our ways. I mean, look, directing 27 episodes, you, you figure that out, but that was, that was kind of the fun with it. I think like, Everyone just loved playing around and finding new things and finding what was funny, you know? It's it's so funny, too, that you some of the same things you said were things I kind of picked up on set while I was watching you direct and other people direct, but it was a similar thing where, like, someone like... Uh, Rob or Pratt or whoever, like they'll they'll do sort of different stuff every take, but but certainly for Offerman, I literally did the same thing talking to him, giving him notes, like because because he's again he's theater, he's he's you yep. can adjust him to any level, <laughs> like you could yeah. be like you could you could go to like a you know that was like a forty six out of hundred, turn it to like a sixty seven out of hundred in terms of how angry you are, like literally yeah. I would say one hundred percent joke, but also as a real, and he would do it You're like he did it, he did sixty seven, like one hundred. Well, and by the way, like with Nick. No one had thought about their performance more than Nick. I mean, he knew, he knew, not only did he know every line of his memorized, he knew the entire script memorized. So there was nothing that you couldn't tell him that he hadn't already thought of. So that's why the number scale really became a good thing for him because it was like Ron Swanson was a very particular character. Very specific. So if you just say, how Ron Swanson do we want to be, he would give you that level. And when you said, give me a four and then said, give me a seven, there was that three point difference. You knew it. And he and he was also such a such a kind man. Like he literally like when when he was asking sometimes you know actor will have these lines that they, they don't quite work or they're a little bit strange to say and so i i still remember him approaching me sometimes and you know it's like oh, mr yang kind sir uh do you mind if i changed this the to an an and i was like yeah you can do that like literally he would say like really really even small changes like that he was so respectful and what again i was eight years old or whatever you said, Dean, I was a very young person. So it was like always like anyone asking me a question, I'm like, yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about it. But yeah, but uh, he, yeah, he was, he was so nice to work. Yeah. With he's sure. extremely respectful when it comes yes. to that and extremely respectful to the words that are written on the script. And he wants to try that first. And when he finds that it's not working, you know, Nick's also extremely intelligent and uh, like you said, classically trained, but also, grammar is a big thing for him. And so it was always like, you know, this is grammatically correct how <laughs> I would say this, young, young lad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's, and I and I also like, I, I think that's really, really smart what you're saying about just letting the actors get some takes in. Because like, you know, sometimes a, a young director or a nervous director will, will fly in after one take and just be like giving notes to everyone. It's like, 
look, we're under time constraints. Don't get me wrong. Like we're, we're trying to finish the show and get it all done. But I, I do feel like I like to give the actors a little bit, uh, get their sea legs under them. You know, sometimes, look, they might have been given seven new pages that day and they're learning the, all that stuff. And I, I, I remember seeing, like this was in the outtakes one year, but I remember Rob doing this one line and I was on set and he would, like the third or fourth take, he was like, and he would finish it and be like, that's an Alan Yang nightmare phrase. Like that is just like <laughs> the total, like it was just like some kind of tongue twister, right? It was just yeah. some sort of it's, weird And by, by the way, you know, they're all smart. They know what they're doing. If you give them two or three takes, they usually fix all their mistakes by the time you get there. You know, I always, yes. I never talk to an actor until the third take. And sometimes yes. more because those first two takes, you're kind of figuring out your cameras. They're rehearsals. Figure it out. Let the actors figure out their mistakes. And then hopefully from there on in, you're actually just giving notes that will make it better, that they've kind of fixed all the problems and, and we start moving forward of only making it better. Uh, I think I know the answer to this, Dean, but at the end of the episode, Pratt, you know, gets caught by the police TPing the house and then he jumps into the hedges. <laughs> was that him or was that a stunt person? Uh, it was him, and it, w- it was my suggestion. I'd never, I never, I was like, Andy Dwyer would never wait for the cops. <laughs> and, but, but I also thought that Andy Dwyer would re- be really bad at hiding. So it was just, we, we planned this thing where we just flashed the lights on him. He just bolts over. And if you really look at it, it's just one shrub there. So it's like you can see him after he lands. So it was... Uh, yeah, and, and we didn't have a stunt person because we just thought of it that night. So he just oh, dove over the bush. There was, and he, there was no mat. There was no mat to, to jump no, onto. Either. There no, was no nothing. for it. Yeah. yeah. I was like, wow, he really disappears in the edge. We used to, he, gets, he gets air. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. He's like, I mean, it's a good frame by frame moment if you're interested. And we had a it's lot of, good. there was a lot of, um, it's ironically when we got to TPing the house, there were not a lot of people who knew how to TP a house. That's sad. And yeah, it was. So I had to do a little tutorial of how you get the the toilet paper to roll so it gives that strain. And we did break a window. (laughs) Toilet paper broke a window? An egg. He threw threw an egg right through a window. Oh, an egg. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, one of the most fun episodes, one of the things I talk about the show is how every episode almost has gifts, parties, or jobs. Like, like Parks and Rec has like gifts, parties, and jobs in every episode. This yeah. one, we got two. We got a Halloween party, and Leslie gives Andy a temporary job. Just one of the most fun episodes we had. Um, Dean Holland, thank you so much for coming on. We're going to have you back on again because you've done a million of these episodes, but great to talk to you about this one, to pick your brain about the show. I, I loved this episode. I loved knowing that this was only your second episode of television. That's well done, Mr. Terrence Malick. Well, there you go. There you <laughs> go. Thank you very the much. Second of, the second of 90. Thank you, Dean. Yeah. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Well, well, we got Dean here. Should we do a town hall? Should we take a trip yes. to a town hall? I don't know what that is, but it sounds good. It's a question from a loyal listener. All right. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, where should we do the town hall today? Scully's Bar. Scully's Bar, named after writer Mike Scully, legendary comedy writer, was on the show for a long time, pitched a lot of great jokes, and plays the character Pearl in the show. We're going to do it from Scully's Bar. The question today comes from Bobby Kay in Brooklyn, and the question is... What's your favorite story that originated from a real-life park, possibly from your hometown? For example, Central Park's Mandarin Duck going viral. That's a very specific example, Bobby Kay. Um, I, I have one that's just and, and is kind of 
not based on a park, but is based on a real thing, which is Lil Sebastian, which was based on a, 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 a small horse that got emailed around the writer's room, I think, that we're like talking about kind of, it was a fun sort of harvest festival type thing. We're like, oh, what happens at these little festivals? And there was a, there was a horse, I believe his name was Einstein. Einstein the tiny horse and we were obsessed with this horse and we were like we should put something like Einstein in the show and that was the origin of Lil Sebastian so um, yeah we always stole from sort of real life headlines and stuff like that but you know hopefully that's a somewhat satisfactory answer I'm sorry a duck was not involved Bobby K from Brooklyn but, uh, but it would have been <laughs> if that if that damn whatever bird had been gone viral when we were making the show, you guys would have absolutely. Oh, absolutely. It's like version. the Mandarin duck is here. The Mandarin duck is here. You know, Leslie, like they, the Mandarin duck's about to mate. <laughs> Here's a question for you, which we were talking about before you came on was, um, the Andy Samberg character after me. <laughs> so there's a, there's a character named Carl Lorthner, I believe, who is a park ranger played by Andy Samberg, later the star of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, also directed by Dean in part. Um, but uh, he talks very loudly, and for those of you who can't tell over the airwaves, Dean Holland has one of the loudest voices uh, known to man that I've ever heard in my life. Way too loud. Often cannot modulate the sound of his voice. Nope, you're <laughs> <So> welcome. <laughs> it's very effective for a director because you know in those old movies where you see the director with the bullhorn, Dean doesn't need one on set yep. because he's audible in literally every room of the set. So, And I give myself a lot of headaches. <laughs> <laughs> Dean's all the way in Connecticut now, and so we can hear him from there. He has no microphone. No microphone. being recorded, yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was the town hall. Let's close up Scully's bar and, and, and wrap up the episode, I think. This is it. I'm, I've, I've been sated at Scully's bar. It's been a great talk. Dean, it's always great to have you. We got to get back on the golf course. But in the meantime, Absolutely. thank you. Thank you all for listening to uh, this, this, uh, this cool episode of Parks and Recollection. Greg Bocat is one of the classic episodes. Thank you, Dean. Thank you, producer Schulte and Greg. And goodbye from all me. Thank you. Arcs and Recollection is produced by Greg Levine and me, Rob Schulte. Our coordinating producer is Lisa Berm. Podcast is executive produced by Alan Yang for Alan Yang Productions, Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Jeff Ross, Adam Sachs, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. Gina Batista, Paula Davis, and Britt Kahn are our talent bookers. The theme song is by Mouse Rat, a.k.a. Mark Rivers, with additional tracks composed by John Danik. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Parks and Recollection. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. 